This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Two people here. Oh yeah, two people. Sean Hyken of Bleacher Report is here, and Yovan Bua of the Athletic. Good evening, guys. How are you? Doing all right. What's going on with you guys? I'm doing well. How are you, man? I'm good. How is uh how's everything in the Northwest? I, I know we Yovan has been on since everything's happened. How have you been hanging in there, Sean? You know, considering everything, I personally could be doing a whole lot worse. But you know, it's it's obviously not ideal for anybody. Good attitude to have. I like that. It always could be worse. This is yeah. uh, definitely true. Um, I love that that we stumbled into having both you guys on tonight because the last thing we'll talk about is the Blazers and Clippers and the rivalry going on there. Um, and Hyken being obviously very familiar with the the uh, Portland Trailblazers and Yovan. Uh, let me check my notes here. Very familiar with the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, but first, I think we have to talk about uh Devin Booker and the Suns now six and zero after beating the Thunder today. Um, really pushing hard to get into that play-in series. Um. It's still a long shot. I think the Grizzlies still have like a 62% chance of getting the eighth seed after the playing games and everything. But that being said, how surprised are you guys uh, about what the Suns have done since uh, coming into the bubble? Uh, Yovan, we'll start with you. I, I'm, I'm surprised in that they've gone undefeated. Um, and, and, you know, I, I witnessed it. They, they beat the Clippers in a game that the Clippers were trying to win. You know, like some of their games have been against shorthanded opponents. Like today, they beat the Thunder, who are missing three starters. You know, uh, they're, they're going to play the Sixers without Embiid and Simmons. So, like, you know, you can only play who's in front of you, and, and they've taken advantage of that. But they beat a Clippers team that was trying to win that game, and, and that was a game that I think the Clippers had kind of penciled in as, like, you know, this is one of the the locked-in Ws on our schedule. And, and you know, kind of looking at that two-seed race, this is going to be one of our easier games. And we, we saw Devin Booker hit the shot of the bubble, you know, the, the, the you know, probably the, the most impressive shot we've seen so far in Orlando. And I mean, this team has had a lot of ups and downs this season. And I, I think we're seeing a hot streak for them, no pun intended, where 
Um, you know, when they are playing their best basketball, I, I think they are in that conversation for like the seven or eight seed in, in the West. It's just they, they have not done that consistently this season. But if you do look at they have had you know multiple stretches that they started the season off really well. Um, they have a lot of talent. I think if you look at the the rotation, they got, you know, eight, nine solid NBA, you know, players, which a lot of these other teams kind of in this mix don't necessarily have outside of maybe Portland. So um, I do think like if you look at the talent, if you look at their track record throughout the season, it's not necessarily a surprise. But if you ask me before the bubble, you know, they're going to go six and zero. Oh, are they going to really have a chance to make the postseason? I would have said no. You know, I, I kind of had written them off as, as well as the Spurs, as well as the Kings. Like, I, I really thought it was going to be, you know, Memphis versus Portland and and maybe New Orleans mm. um, having a shot to make the postseason. So I've been very impressed with the Suns. Um, you know, Devin Booker, I, I think, has taken his game to a different level in Orlando. But we, I, think, I, I like I like what I've seen from going there with the fellas. <laughs> I mean, Ricky Rubio is playing out of his mind. Uh, you had the viral clip of Javon Carter, uh, who I, I like. He's apparently because- awesome now. He's 37 years old since graduating from Van- uh, West Virginia, but he's a, an important piece now in this rotation. Yeah, I mean, it's, sure. There you go. Just more Phoenix Suns randomness. Cameron well, Payne's gonna- an NBA player now. Cameron Payne? I- yeah. I covered him in Chicago, and he was maybe one of the worst pl- NBA players I'd ever <laughs> seen when he was with the Bulls, but he's good now, apparently. I think we have to really talk about Monty Williams being like just a good basketball coach. Like he's just, I've been on that for a long time. Yeah. I've I've always thought Monty was good. I was, you know, at the beginning of the season, I kind of thought he was probably going to be in the coach of the year consideration. I realized they kind of stumbled a little bit after, uh, he, uh, you know, after the, you know, the Deandre Ayton, uh, PD suspension and they, they kind of faded back from the pack a little bit. I was a little bit skeptical of them coming into the bubble. I just, I'm just kind of like what Jovan just said. I kind of assumed, okay, it's going to be between Memphis, Portland, and New Orleans. And then the other three teams were just invited so that they could get an even number of teams so that they could get some more TV revenue. I didn't really take any of the other teams seriously. But honestly, outside of uh, Portland, the two teams that have looked the best out of the eight seed contenders are Phoenix and San Antonio. And, you know, you have to get, I think the thing that's been really cool for me to see was Devin Booker kind of shedding that label that he has had on him, whether fairly or not, that he's not a winning player, that he's kind of just an empty stats guy. And I get that maybe some of that he brought on himself because that 70-point game that he had a few years ago was one of the biggest jokes in the history of the NBA. Like, literally, his teammates were fouling. It was a game they were getting blown up, and his teammates were just fouling the other team so that they could get the ball back faster just to get him to 70 points. And it was just like one of the most ridiculous things I've ever well, seen. Well, be fair. Um, Hooters was doing a 70-point special that evening. So if you, you they were 70, they did a the wing special for uh, our guy, Devin Booker. And then he got to go there with the fellas afterwards. So <laughs> you love to go there so with the fellas. Absolutely. And so <laughs> I think now we're kind of seeing these are the first actual meaningful games that Devin Booker has played in in his NBA career because he's this is his fifth year in the league. They haven't come close to making the playoffs in any of those that time. And so now they're in this situation where they actually have a real chance of making the playoffs or at least being in the mix for it and getting into this play in. And he's been arguably besides TJ Warren, he's been arguably the best player in the bubble so far. 
I think we should just go ahead and Silver should step in here. We're figuring it out on the fly. Just put the Suns in. We we would rather have the Suns and Devin Booker against LeBron versus uh, Jaw and without Jaron Jackson, who was losing him was a devastating blow, and they're just terrible to watch. Outside of Grayson Allen, who is now one of the league's best shooters too, apparently, um, who I've watched multiple days, and just he gets a lot of open looks. I don't understand because he's so slow and his release is really slow that he always has these open threes in the corner at the top of the key it's it's very wild he has all the time in the world to step into these threes but he's he's hitting them all and uh yeah sure great go off and then you have tj warren becoming michael jordan just a lot of weird bubble stuff but um i think another thing i noticed about the suns and i want to get y'all's perspective on this is that they've messed up so much with the alex lens the josh jacksons they messed up in the draft building around they stumbled into devin booker he was great because he's a late lottery pick deandre ayton looks like he's going to be a solid player um but mikhail bridges might be one of the best perimeter defenders like just trading for Ubre has turned out to be a really great thing for them um baines is good for them ricky rubio just knows how to play basketball and is just the best point guard devin booker's played with this point in his career they didn't even have a point guard for him last year they had that french left-handed dude who was playing a lot i already forgot his name opo opo i don't know i don't remember yeah awful um and then you have cam johnson who is like the fastest 103s in sun's history like he just shoots and he's also like 27 years old they picked a lot of older um guys who were just good in college and it really helps guys like devin booker um develop is just having a bunch of like yovan said at the top of this where they have eight or nine guys now for monty williams rotation that just know what they're doing and are have at least one strong nba skill um and that includes now carter and cameron Payne, who for sure they're good now apparently whatever basketball is weird the thing that really is just was just real really found money for them was just getting Aaron Baines basically for free from Boston because Boston yeah. was trying to save a little bit of money. I was right before the league shut down in March. Uh, they played a game against Portland and Aaron Baines hit like seven threes randomly. And it was just like, it was like one, and I realized that was kind of fluky, but he's been good for them the whole year. And they just have found these guys in terms of, you know, him, uh, PJ or not PJ uh, Cam Johnson, who I think people have, you know, he, he was, I think I remember the night that he got drafted, he was the 12th pick or something. Yeah. And I don't think anybody else had him like number kill for this uh, pick. Well, they did below like the, I, I think that nobody else had him higher than like 25th on their board. Yeah. I remember there was some ridiculous, like, like there was just this consensus that they reached so far back to get him on their draft board. Turns out he's an incredible shooter, which is an important skill. And he's, you know, he's, he's, been a valuable contributor for them so i don't know maybe they knew what they're doing and also just kind of on the on the flip side of getting aaron baines for nothing uh the best player in the bubble so far has been tj warren and they basically just gave him away too yeah it's weird they should be like it i just can't figure them out yovan what do you think about their rotation guys what what are you believer in all of this being real for them yeah i i think that Heading into next season, there's no reason why they, they again they can't be in that seven eight seed mix. Um, well, you know, say they lose in the bubble, they could really run the table. I wouldn't roll out just uh, going undefeated. And they uh, could go eight or zero and not even still get into the play in. Oh the yeah, be amazing. T- to be honest, I feel like you were saying the league should step in. I feel like the league should step in and just have it be Portland Phoenix, like best yeah. of three. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, the, nobody nobody's really trying to see Memphis without Jaron Jackson. They've been the worst watch of anyone in the bubble. So yeah, they are a tough, tough watch. And when John's not shooting well, when he went like one, uh, like one for 15 from deep and like five for 20, like it's a, 
it's a brutal watch. It's pretty funny how uh, the league basically pulled out all the stops to try to get New Orleans in. And they basically invited 220 extra people into the bubble <laughs> in order to just get Zion in. And then the Pelicans clearly just don't want to be there. And they were one of the teams that people were kind of thinking is, oh, maybe they're going to be the team besides Portland that has a chance to challenge Memphis for the eight seed. And really the only two teams, I guess San Antonio's looked all right, but the only two teams that you can say these teams have actually looked like playoff teams since the start of the bubble have been Phoenix and Portland. Yeah. Well, San Antonio too. Like in San Antonio, my favorite thing about, and they didn't get Aldridge. Aldridge was like, yeah, no, not happening. I'm just going to get some surgery done. And uh, good luck, guys. And, I like that they waited until they knew what they were going to do and before he decided to go get surgery. Right. But they're finally doing the thing that I wanted them to do anyway, which was play DeJounte, Derek White, and Lonnie Walker together. And that is something they just have to figure it out. And DeRozan's been a great closer for them and everything. But like, I think at this point in his career, DeRozan's better off being the third guard off the bench and just running the second unit. And I just think so much of their future is tied in those three that they needed to see how they all worked. And it's the results early on pretty, pretty solid. I, I like that they're trying. It took pop a while. And uh, it, you know what? They're there. Yeah, to, to quickly go back to the Suns for a second, uh, a point I wanted to make that I, I find interesting with, with DeAndre Ayton is that, you know, in retrospect, he was the wrong pick, right? I, I think we can obviously agree that Luka should have been number one. Right. But it, it is setting up this kind of interesting subplot where Ayton does look like a good NBA player. Like, you know, I, I don't yeah. know if he's there necessarily yet, but I think he's going to get there pretty soon. And, you know, it might just be one of those scenarios where probably similar to uh, a team you're familiar with, uh, Chase, oh, with, no. with, <laughs> with with Trey in Atlanta. Okay. It's like um, people you say know, he's just as good as Luca. Luca should have been the number one pick in, in the draft. But I think Atlanta is very happy with the, the Trey pick. I, I don't know. I'm not happy, Yovan. Guess what? Not happy about it. Still not. <laughs> it is uh, August 10th. 2020 still not happy so we're not all happy but i i just think it's setting up this interesting dynamic of like you know phoenix clearly botched it but they didn't fully botch it in that like they didn't get marvin bagley <laughs> instead of the other stuff is uh, do you guys racist. know what do you guys know why uh sacramento took bagley because what i heard is pretty hilarious oh no please Let, let's please so what i heard was that vlade was worried about being pigeonholed as oh of course vlade is only taking the euro guys and so he took oh. Bagley, and so he basically outsmarted himself out of taking a basically immediate MVP candidate and future Hall of Famer because he was worried that people would be, have this perception that he was biased towards taking Euro guys. What? Okay, so this is a theory I want to pose to you guys because I was talking to, uh, I think, Scott uh, Rafferty of NBA Canada about this the other day. Um, love Scott. But I pose this question because the Sixers are just in such a mess and signing Horford to that contract is just going to really really hurt them for years to come i wonder if hiring a former big as your gm is one of the worst things you can do in basketball because we look at vladi the two worst gms in basketball right now are both bigs former bigs and i i get a little nervous because they want to they have a propensity to be like you know what what if we built around mark marvin bagley and harry giles or uh marvin bagley and uh pay Dwayne Dedman for a three-year contract and like really solidify our big man rotation where we figure out our guard situation and then you have Philadelphia we're like you know what the east is big man and he's like you know we could I mean we're gonna lose Jimmy Butler but what if we added another big 
who can play next to Joel Embiid. What if we did that? What if we thought Horford and Embiid could play together? I think in today's NBA, hiring a former big as your GM is one of the worst things you can do because they're going to be um, intrigued and intri- like just really intrigued by the idea of building around two two bigs. Is that a fair thought process that I've had lately? Well, the counterexample would be Sean Marks in Brooklyn. Mm. Does he count was, as a big? What was Sean Marks? He was a center in the NBA. Yeah. Was he a center? Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he. he well, he yeah, hasn't been great. I, that, I don't think we can go ahead and check the box that he's been amazing. We got to see here. We got to see. He's not all right. He's, he's not all right. right. Sean he Marks built is a, a good team. counter. He got. He got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He's a good counter. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, I did the Sixers sign Al Horford because Elton Brand was really enamored of having big men, or did they sign Al Horford basically to take him off of the Celtics? Because I feel like that <laughs> mm. was a big part of what they did. I feel like they just Horford had so Embiid had so many problems with Horford in the playoffs that one year that they just figured, okay, you know, we can sign Al Horford so that the Celtics don't have him anymore, and then we match up better with them without really taking into account. And I'm not defending the signing because I. Obviously, I didn't think it was a good fit at the time, and it certainly hasn't been a good fit in the first year. But I think it was more just, again, going with, you know, I was just talking about how Vladi outsmarted himself by taking Bagley over Luka. I think Elton Brand might have outsmarted himself by taking by signing Horford to this huge contract just to take him off of the Celtics and then not realizing that he's not a good fit next to Embiid and that he's going to have this contract that's going to really hamper them going forward. That's just kind of a theory I've got about it. I love Lottie just taking a big just because he didn't want a Euro label that he only takes the Euro guy. That's well, and I've also seen Kings fans try to justify it with like, oh, it was the right pick. We already had De'Aaron Fox, you know, we had Buddy Heald. And it's like you can you can trade Buddy Heald to make De'Aaron Fox and Luca play well together. Okay, like you can you can figure that out. But but even like Luca's already better than De'Aaron Fox may ever be like probably. You know, probably yeah. will. Ever yeah, we can be. go and pencil that one in. Yeah, you're you're lu- you're lucky if De'Aaron Fox ever becomes a a you know MVP candidate. So I, I think we have like we've seen this from teams time and time again, where they have a a top five pick and they screw it up because they already have a player they like at that position, and that player who was kind of a no brainer ends up being much better than the player they passed on. And I, I just think you should always go by best available best talent versus uh, a positional need two teams passed on damian lillard for that same reason uh cleveland and sacramento well who's cleveland now cleveland wanted to take damian lillard but then they were like skeptical of oh is he going to be able to fit with Kyrie? and then sacramento didn't take him at five because they already had isaiah thomas and he had just had an awesome rookie season for them and then, so that's why he fell to Portland at six. But I mean, it's just kind of Wait, yeah, they I, take waiters I, I, that year instead. They did take waiters. Okay. Yes. Well, worked the, out for him. Waiters of, and Kyrie I'm kind still of, a legendary tandem for the Cleveland. You know Cavaliers. what they? You know what they did trade waiters for Jr., who was a big piece on the championship True. team. So I can't really get too mad at it. But I mean, <laughs> Sacramento traded Thomas Robinson halfway into his rookie season, and like. He he was on and I mean, I did a story on Thomas last summer. And so, you know, I, he's a he's a good guy. But like he, he was on six teams in seven years when he was in the NBA. So always grab rebounds. Good rebound. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. He had a skill. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. So, guys, what do you think ultimately happens with the eight spot in the West? Who do you think ultimately gets it? I'm going to play the safe route just because it's really hard for the Grizzlies to still not win this, um, even though they're just having an, an all time just bad 
streak in uh, Orlando. But uh, what do you guys think? Sean, you first. I think Portland gets it. Really? Okay. I don't. You think that's a hot take? I don't think that's a hot take. I think it's very hard. They have to win two games before the Grizzlies win one, right? In the playing series. Who's to say Memphis is going to get is going to stay in nine? What if Phoenix passes them up? Oh, I mean, I guess that's still possible. What Phoenix has two more games? Yeah, I. And I mean, uh, Memphis's next game tomorrow is against Boston, and I think Boston is still. Like, I don't think Boston's going to be resting all their guys. Well, so they're I think Boston's three spot now, right? Right. But Boston, right. But Bo- the, thing, the thing about this, uh, about this bubble, I mean, there are a few teams that have rested a bunch of guys. I know the Clippers have rested Kawhi a couple of times and the Bucks have rested Giannis and, and, and stuff. But a lot of these teams, even the ones where you already know which seed they're locked into, they still haven't played basketball in four months. And so they're still trying to play their guys to get their guys comfortable. I think Boston is probably going to play their guys tomorrow. And I, they, they could announce that they're not by the time this goes up and I could look stupid, but I mean, they could lose that game uh, to Boston tomorrow. Memphis could, and you know, Portland and I mean, Portland's next two games are against Dallas. Who's pretty much locked into seven and Brooklyn, who is, you know, basically playing their third stringers the whole time. So I think, I mean, I think it's very possible that, uh, Phoenix and Portland win out and Memphis, you know, loses that position. And I just, again, out of this whole thing, I, the Blazers have the best player out of any of these teams that are fighting for the eighth seed. So I, you know, in these playoff situations, that's kind of what I'm going to sort of default towards. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I'm with Sean. I, I think Portland ends up passing Memphis for eight. And then it, whether it's Memphis in nine or Phoenix surpassing them for nine, um, I don't think either of those teams beats Portland twice to, to surpass them. So I, I think Portland ends up getting in. Um, and that would be an exciting first round series. I, I'm not like fully on board with the people saying they would beat the Lakers or like even who's push saying them. that besides the, Charles Barkley. Though. Some people have said it. I, I, I like I, I, but I, I think most of it's in jest. I, I wouldn't even say like, you know, six Are they, or saying seven they could beat them once or like beat them in a seven game series. Charles Barkley said they're going to the finals. Oh, perfect. There's been some Portland. I mean, I, I will say I don't think Portland is a good matchup for the Lakers on the offensive side just because yeah. of, um, you know, the, the problems that Dame and CJ present. And, and I don't yeah, really think the Lakers, I don't think the Lakers are equipped to defend them without a B and, you know, that well. But obviously, you know, if you're asking Carmel Anthony to try to defend LeBron James, that's just you know, not going, that's going to be a disaster. So I, I don't see how Portland defends AD or LeBron really in that series. Um, but, but uh, anyway, they get I, a game I, or two. I think they match up the best with the Lakers out of any of the eight seed teams. But I, I do think, think they probably, I, I'm with you. I don't think they get swept, but I don't see that series not going the Lakers way. Hmm. You're, <sighs> I don't know. Now you're like making me really think about this. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just. Do you think like, Memphis? Say it again. Do you think Memphis? Yeah, I really do. Until like, I just think it's so hard for them to fall. Like, I just it can't go this badly for the entirety of their run. Like, this is going to be an all-time stink bomb run if they really, really blow this. You know what, though? Like, they're still ahead of schedule. Did anybody think they were going to make the playoffs coming into this season? Like, they were seen no. as kind of still rebuilding, and you know, yeah. their two best, their two best players are their are the two are their two youngest guys, and then one of their guys they just lost for the rest of the bubble. And Jaw is awesome, but he's kind of hit this rookie wall during the bubble and been kind of up and down uh, so far. I don't think you can look at this as a complete failure for Memphis if they don't 
make the yeah. playoffs. They're they're as a team, like you can still look at them and say they're in a good spot and they overachieve this season. Mm. I'm gonna stick with Memphis just stick to my guns and we'll see what happens. Um the last thing on the West in the eight seed. Uh Gentry, is he back as Pelicans coach next year? No. No. I have not only that, uh, yeah. I have heard I have heard throughout the year talking to various people. I had heard and this is like obviously when they were like terrible before they before Zion came back and looked like they were just gonna be one of the worst teams in the West. I had heard some buzz that not only is Alvin Gentry probably gonna be fired, but he probably wouldn't be heartbroken about being fired either. I think he might just be ready to retire. He's kinda old and I think if he if he got fired, he would just be like, Yeah, you know what, I'm good. I had a good run. I'm I'm out. So I think like I, he's coached I would, like I would, every team in the NBA at this point. Well, right. I mean, I and I think he's a good coach, and I mean, he's one of. I'll, I'll, I would miss him as a media member because he's probably my favorite coach in the league to talk to. I'm sure Jovan can back me up on this. Alvin's just a really great guy, a really fun guy to talk to. But like, I, I think it might just be like when they fired Monty. Like he, it's not that he did a bad job. It's just that at a certain point, you need to take the team to the next level, and you might need to bring in somebody else to do that. And who that is, I don't know. I've heard rumors. Like I, I don't know if you guys listened to the Low Post when uh, Jeff Van Gundy was on, but he. They said something about Nate McMillan maybe being in trouble in Indy, which is just insane to me. But if Indy does do that, which would be stupid, like that's, I think, who New Orleans should try to go out and get. Hmm. Well, I saw the first two names were Ty Lue and Jason Kidd. Uh, interviewing Jason Kidd should be a fireable offense right? <laughs> at this point. I don't, I, I mean, Ty, Ty Lue's fine. I'd be, I'd be fine with him hiring Ty Lue. The idea that anybody is even like seriously thinking about hiring Jason Kidd at this point, given his track record is just like, I just, wh- why? Like, wh- like, what are we doing here at that point? I think it's because play stars like him, right? Like that's gotta be it that for, he well, has a gravitas with all the best players in the league. Well, that was the whole thing with the Knicks interviewing him because yeah. Giannis supposedly likes him. LeBron and, clearly and, loves him. Yeah. But like, even even LeBron was like when they were talking about him as the head coach, even Le- LeBron was like, yeah, I don't know about this. Like they th- that's that's why like they were interviewing like they, they interviewed like a couple of different like Ty Lue was kind of LeBron's guy that they interviewed and Monty was the compromise. And then they lowballed both of them and ended up with Vogel, which kind of accidentally ended up being the right move. But I just I mean, between the, you know, power struggle stuff in Brooklyn and Milwaukee and the fact that the Bucks basically had the same team and went from never winning a first round series under kid to being the best team in the East under Budenholzer two years in a row and the, him being a convicted domestic abuser who has like DUIs and stuff. I just, I just, I wouldn't, I, that's just not who I would go with. Mm. Yeah. Well, who do you go with? I, I think I'd go Ty Lu. You know, he, he has the familiarity with David Griffin already. Um, you know, I, I know this year, He's been a, a nice addition for the Clippers coaching staff. I mean, if you look at their coaching staff, they, they probably have three guys um, as assistant coaches who are going to be head coaches in the league at some point. And Ty, um, you know, who's obviously already been a head coach, uh, Rex Kalamian, who's their defensive coordinator, and Sam Cassell, who a lot of people How have Sam said. Cassell not gotten a job yet? He's a sneaky one who's been on the bench for a long time now. Darvin Ham is another one in Milwaukee. Yeah. But but Sam, you know, Sam, if you look at his track record of, um, you know, in, in Washington with with Wall and Beal and, um, you know, now in L.A. with with guys like Austin Rivers and, and Shea Gilgis Alexander and like, you know, anytime he works with a young guard, you, you see pretty good progress hmm. uh, with, with, with that player. 
Um, so I, I think he's really good with player development. He obviously has an amazing personality, um, you know, constantly cracking jokes and stuff. But I think Ty, you know, Ty, th- this year with the Clippers was kind of a placeholder year for him. It was sort of, you know, he, he was out of the league last season, you know, taking this year to kind of reimmerse himself into, you know, NBA culture, NBA locker rooms again, and, and, you know, do it with a really good winning team. I mean, we know heading into the, you know, last summer, um, he was the, the tentative favorite to be the Lakers coach and, and that ended up not working out. Um, so I, I think w- with him, you know, he's going to have his pick of, uh, the, the Nets, the, maybe the Pelicans and then maybe who knows what other jobs end up popping up. But, uh, I, I think Ty's probably going to be the top or one of the top coaching candidates available. Seems he like the Nets are going get Jacques Con uh, or Jacques Vaughn. I think that yeah, seems pretty right. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like that. And, you know, given the way that they've played since he took over, I can't really say he doesn't deserve a shot. I know things didn't go great for him in Orlando, but like sometimes guys don't do well at their first head coaching job and then they do better at their next. I mean, a guy that comes to mind for me is, you know, being here in Portland is Terry Stotts, who I think now yeah. most people think is probably one of the, <laughs> you know, seven to ten best coaches in the NBA. He in the mid 2000s, he was the coach of the Bucks and the Hawks, and he was not anything special there. And then when Portland hired him, it was just kind of ah, this is weird. This is just kind of a retread hire. This is kind of unexciting. And he's been great. So, you know, I'm willing to give Jacques Vaughn the benefit of the doubt, given how Brooklyn played that he might deserve another shot. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think that's probably how that ends up going. But yeah, I mean, I think Ty Lue would be, you know, it'd certainly be between his familiarity with David Griffin and. The fact that, you know, now they have Zion, who's already one of the most visible guys in the league that they want, you know, to have a coach that like the stars around the league are going to respect. And the fact that Ty Lue is one of LeBron's guys like, and, you know, that that kind of carries some weight with some players. And I mean, he's also a good coach. Like I get man, it's, it's very easy to have this perception of him that like, oh, he's just LeBron's guy. And that's why he is where he is. But no, he is respected. I mean, there's a reason that as soon as he got fired from Cleveland, Doc Rivers put him right back on his staff. And Doc is one of the most respected guys in the league. I think Jovan can probably speak better to the specific impact he has than I do because he's actually covered a team that has him on the staff. But I mean, I think Ty Lue would be a terrific hire for New Orleans. And and one thing I want to add on to the Brooklyn situation that I think is is being a little lost in the conversation with it is just that the job sucks. I think what <laughs> the job sucks continue well not, that, I mean, not that's, as bad as other jobs in new york <laughs> i wasn't gonna say that but um i i while i do think jacques Vaughn has done a good job um and and i i definitely echo everything you guys just said i think w- when you look at kind of reading between some of the lines of what's happened there you know kevin durant and and kyrie irving did not seem to be on board fully with kenny atkinson and everything that was going on so I just kind of wonder, those guys haven't really been coached by Jacques. And, and you know, I think clearly with, with everything that's going on in Brooklyn, like those guys are going to have a giant say in everything that happens. So I, I just wonder if, you know, for he could coach, um, you know, he, he could coach the best job in the world and have all of the role players on that team loving him as a coach. But if he doesn't have the buy-in from KD and Kyrie, I don't know if he keeps that job and and I don't, you know, for, for as good of a coach as he's been, I don't know if he has the same gravitas as a, as a Ty Lue or, um, you know, we hear Jeff Van Gundy always being mentioned. It it feels like over the last few years or any big coaching job, like guys like that, I think have a little bit more of a name, a little bit more pull. So while I do think Jacques deserves it based on performance, 
I do think Kyrie and Katie are clearly two guys who are opinionated, do want to have say in like franchise matters. And um, I just wonder, you know, he's not coach Kevin Durant yet. Technically, you know, Kyrie, um, I, I don't think was healthy when he took over. So um, I just don't know like where those guys are at with their relationship with him and how much that's going to play in. Well, I think Kevin wants Mark Jackson, which is also something I wouldn't do. <laughs> I'm he gonna, also I'm gonna... wants uh, guy's girlfriends on Twitter, and he's totally okay uh, pointing that out. I'm sorry that 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 tweet where he was like, "My phone is tripping." I accidentally followed her and liked all her pics. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I just, I just, I respect that so much. Just the shamelessness of it. Like, he, and also, at least he did it from his own account this time. He's always online, and um, I like Kevin Durant. I like his. I think he's. I feel bad. Did you guys for read him. Ethan's book? I've not yet. No. There's a whole chapter about Durant that's basically psychoanalyzing him that I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know how much of it is true and how much of it is just him and Ethan having this back back and forth that they did. But I thought that was it. I thought that I think that book is really interesting. Overall. Was it glowing or pessimistic? <laughs> no, it was not. Okay. Hmm. Well, I mean, I could not imagine just doing what he did in Golden State and going on the run that he went on and outdueling the best player on the planet back-to-back years taking over steph's team and making it his own and still just not be looked at as just the best basketball player on the planet he never got the Kawhi love he never got the lebron like he because I, I, he was seen as a hired gun because right like you just feel the, bad warriors fan, i really you're never gonna the warriors fans are never gonna love him i mean he i, mean, I think he thought because like, he, he was tired of you know getting killed for falling short in the playoffs with oklahoma city and so he was like okay, nobody's going to respect me unless I go win a ring. So I'm going to go join the 73-win Warriors super team, and we're going to win some rings. And then he goes and does that, and everybody just says, oh, he took the shortcut. And then even the Warriors fans basically viewed him as a mercenary. They didn't view him. They, they're never going to view him the same way that they view Steph and Clay and Draymond and all those guys that were there from day one. It's really sad. I just I don't think he's ever going to be happy. I, I think as during his playing days, I don't think there's an avenue of him getting what he wants. And I... I just feel bad for guys like that where I don't see an avenue where he's going to be content with where he's seen and um, what he's accomplished. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And then, you know, now he's in the situation where I don't even know how good Brooklyn's going to be moving forward. Um, I mean, I I think they have some really good role players, but you have that weird Deandre Jordan, Jared Allen situation, um, Do they which, trade Levert, yeah. trade Joe Harris? Who stays? Who's gone? Because Kyrie like mentioned, like a lot of these guys aren't going to be here. Yeah. Much longer, well, so they ha- well they signed DeAndre basically as as part of the package deal to get right. Kevin and Kyrie, which is a trade off that you make, assuming True. assuming but, Durant's going to come back healthy from the Achilles, which is not a guarantee. But yeah, no, but I mean, I, I think the the East is kind of shaping up where I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Giannis in Milwaukee. Um, I think it's trending towards him probably staying, but that, that could obviously change. Um, you have Boston, who I think has as high of a you know short-term ceiling as as any team in the league over looking over like the next half decade. You have Philly, who could eventually figure it out. Maybe you, you, I mean, it's all you, Yohan. That that can be your island to die on. I, yeah, uh, I'm good. I, I left I, that a while ago. I mean, Toronto is is still, a, you know, a, a fringe title contender. So, like, I, I just don't think, like, e- even if Brooklyn ends up being, if KD comes back to KD 
which most likely won't even, you know, might be 90, 95% of KD, but probably won't be Warriors level KD. Then you got Kyrie who can never stay healthy. I just don't know, like in the best case scenario, that team still might be like a three, four, five seed and, and not have any assurances of coming out of the East. Um, so I, I think that situation might be short lived. I mean, I still want to see Tatum versus Durant in the Eastern Conference Finals. That would um that would be nice. That'd be fun. Jalen Brown that would be fun. versus Levert and all that. Yeah, I would I'd be here for it. Um did y'all read the Jack McCallum seven second to less book? Years ago. Okay. Yeah. Gentry is like mentioned a lot in that. He comes off really funny because McCallum was like in there with the coaches all the time. And Alvin's awesome. He's just one of the best guys in the league. Right. But he also like is obsessed with vitamins. And like there's this whole little (laughs) anecdote about like them messing with him about eating his vitamins and like he's very particular about the way he struggles to swallow them like every time he tries to take it and like there's a whole bit about him trying to get down these vitamins and all the coaches and jack watching him struggle to get this vitamin out because they told him they're like watch him try to eat these vitamins he can't do it and he just (laughs) really really struggles to swallow his daily vitamins it's it's a really funny thing that's what i have two alvin gentry so I have two Alvin Gentry stories. One is when I was still in Chicago, uh, the Bulls were playing the Pelicans in a preseason game and we were doing the pregame media availability. And he just outright said, yeah, you know, when it's a preseason game and one of my players is playing in their hometown, they're going to have a lot of family in town. I like to just give them a lot of minutes. Like it just kind of <laughs> outright said that he doesn't take preseason <laughs> games seriously, like to a degree that I've never seen a coach just admit that before. And then the other one is when they were playing Portland in the playoffs a couple years ago. Uh, it was when the Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights were making their run and he would just come in every day during practice or shoot around and just be like, you see my Golden Knights win last night. I'm a diehard Golden Knights fan. Day one, baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'm going to miss Alvin when he's out of the league. He's, he's only he's 65, though. It's not like he's super old. He could get another job. He could, but he I, he's also made enough money that unless he's like, I think he's probably at the point where he's kind of just ready to retire and like not have that life. Like the coaching life is a grind. Like and there are some guys like Tom Thibodeau who are just going to do it until they literally drop dead. <laughs> but like but like a guy like Alvin, like I think Alvin just kind of has other hobbies and other interests and he might just be like, you know what? I had a good career. I've made a lot of money. Like I'm good. I don't need to go pursue another job and, you know, be in my late sixties, still doing this, still traveling this much. Hmm. Yeah. Von, what do you think? Do you have any Alvin Gentry stories? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, he, he did have the one year with the Clippers, um, years ago. Um, I, I just know he and doc have a great, relationship um he is one of the best quotes in the league for sure um you know i I think he's he's overly candid uh to to a degree that you love as a reporter i mean yeah sean just said um but i mean i I, i'm trying to think uh, like on the spot if if i have anything but um, how about this tell me why sam cassell is funny what makes him funny i don't know anything about sam cassell the personality as a coach like what makes him funny? what does he do well, he invented the big balls dance. Well, I do which, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which that alone. Um, I mean, he's just like nonstop. Um, like he's just a wise guy, like always cracking jokes, um, you know, just busting everybody's balls that, you know, no pun intended uh, with the celebration. Um, you know, he, he's just he's just funny and, and everybody. But at the same time, I think he's one of those guys who can toe that line of, of like not being serious but also kind of being serious at the same time like having that underlying well he's definitely not somebody you want to mess with 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 but you know, I, I wrote a piece on on Shay last year and, and their relationship, and um, Shay just said like, you know, he is one of those guys that you respect, and you know, you, you kind of know that it's it's kind of like the the fun parent that because they're fun and and you know they give you a lot of leeway, they will be open with you. You know, you don't have to hide stuff from them. Um, when they do give you criticism or, or guidance, like it almost carries more weight than sort of the, the dictator parent or, you know, the, the, the person who's just going to always be telling you what to do. So I think Sam kind of has that nice balance of like, he's definitely a player's coach and, and players love him. Um, you know, you, you, he, he does like shooting contests with the players a- after practice. Like he's still, you know, he still has game. He, he's still in pretty good shape. Um, you know, isn't going to beat anybody like one-on-one or anything, but like he can still shoot the ball pretty well and, and beat some players, but he's also going to not hold anything back and, and, and be, you know, when he says something like players listen to him. So I, I think from that perspective, like he, and, and then he's basically been Doc's right-hand man now for, you know, seven, eight years. So I, I do think he, he's learned from one of the best coaches in the league in doc. Um, he's been with some of the best teams in the league. Um, you know, the, the, the best years of, of the wizards and then the best years of the Clippers. Um, so I, I, I do think that he is very qualified and, um, at, at some point within the next few years, probably will get a head coaching, um, shot. Hmm. So what do we think? Ultimately, what was the, and we'll put a bow on the Pelicans. What was the biggest reason the new Orleans Pelicans are not going to be a playoff team this fall? I don't think they wanted to be there. It's <laughs> a good reason. Like that's that's the thing that like and like I said, Lonzo earlier, clearly NBA, did not want to be there. The NBA invited 220 extra because if, if it weren't for them wanting to get Zion in the playoffs for TV ratings, they could have just invited the 16 teams that are already in the playoffs, like as of as a time and just had Memphis be the eight seed, and then they could have gotten out faster, had fewer people in the bubble, and you know for safety reasons gotten out of it. They really wanted to get Zion in, and so. Six extra teams, and that's 37 people in each traveling party when you're talking about players, coaches, team staffers. So that's about 220 extra people that got invited in just to get Zion on TV more. And then they played Zion like 15 minutes a game. And so like pulling him out just, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, like they didn't they clearly didn't want to be there. So like I'm not I'm not really too sad for the Pelicans because I think if they really wanted to make the playoffs, they could have played Zion normal minutes and been fine and they would have been you know competitive at least and you know had a chance to get in there but they clearly wanted to just get out in one piece and go home which i can understand because we're in a pandemic but you know that's just the choice they made yovan what do you think i i think the zion situation um was kind of their undoing in that you know this team played their best basketball of the season when zion was healthy and and playing well and and they Mm kind of got that mid-season shot in the arm once he returned in January and you just never saw that version of him I mean he, he still was averaging I'm looking at it right now like 18 point I mean 18 points in 20 minutes is pretty insane um but you know 56 percent shooting like but only four rebounds and, and he had a you know team worst uh minus 11.6 plus yeah, he's minus on defense like the I mean yeah was so terrible. the defense was terrible he's a kid um, though like know, he'll I, get better at that yeah, and after it looked like he had gotten in better shape, he seemed to be in worse shape. Uh, Brandon Ingram, what was not his, you know, all-star level self, 
Um, Lonzo, as we've mentioned now multiple times on this podcast, was atrocious. <laughs> he shot 26% and 19% on threes. Um, you know, JJ showed up and, and JJ had his playoff streak on the line and you could tell he, he was going for it. But aside from that, I mean, Drew wasn't that good, uh, which was a little bit surprising. And like the, their role players didn't show up either. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think th- I, this was a team that we thought would be in that mix with eight seed heading into the season from like a best case scenario. It looked like they were trending towards that, but when, when Zion misses half the year and, and you know, comes into the, the bubble and the shape that he was in before, whatever reason, whether it was, you know, personal stuff or um, not being able to work out as much during the pandemic and stuff. Like, I, I don't know what the reason was and you know, he's had knee problems and stuff. So, I don't, I don't want to like kind of project what that reason is. Um, but I, I do think like Zion was, was clearly not the peak Zion that we had seen in, in January and February and, and March. And they needed that guy to make the playoffs and they didn't have him. And then on top of that, as we've said, it seemed like half the team didn't want to be there. So I, I you know, this was a disaster and it's probably going to cost Alvin Gentry his job, but I don't know. You know, I think for any team entering the, the the bubble that wasn't in the playoffs, like aside from Portland, who clearly was a playoff caliber team when when healthy, like I, I don't think I don't know how much you can actually take away from it and then hold it against these guys because every team in the bubble was pretty good aside from Washington. Um, so so uh, I I mean it, it's hard oh, not to a call- Rory Hachimura guy. No, no, he I'm, sucks. I don't. I Scott and I argued about this for like ten minutes the other day. I. What is he good at? I what is he good at? He's high energy. That's it. Well, guys, Scout with Brian wrote that story saying he's going to be the next Giannis. So good God, he sucks at everything. That dude is a rotation player. Like best case scenario, he's like Kenneth Reed. I I don't understand. That's not a bad thing to be though. Like, sure, but like he's not good. Just the idea that like, people who really are like he's those kind of guys who they're like, oh, if you look at his size and like he his motor, like you can if you can get the right coach in there to work with him he could become a superstar it's like most of the time that doesn't happen like the Kawhi's out of nothing and the paul george is out of fresno like those are rare and uh not the norm and i'm gonna go ahead and bet against ruri hachimura as a superstar in this league gonna go ahead and say probably not gonna happen um but shout out to troy brown and thomas bryant who big fan to those two so there, there you go, go ducks go ducks <laughs> um the last thing i'll say on zion though did y'all like some of the plays where he's Uh, just offensively where it looks like he has no room to score like he got the ball at one point um i think this is the grizzlies game where he gets it on the um he had like three straight buckets but one of the possessions he gets the ball on like the outside on the right hand uh corner and immediately charges and you could see two guys help defense comes in and then there's that third defender who pops up right i think it's like jackson hayes and he just slides around all three and gets up an easy layup and I sat there and I was just like, I don't know what you do with Zion when he just attacks three, four people and he's just unbothered. That guy is so unbothered at the rim and so clean. It shouldn't be as beautiful as it is the way he can just maneuver inside. Like that guy can score inside whenever he wants. I mean, Giannis is, I guess, the only closest alternative to um, just how easy it is for him to score inside. But like, Zion is, I think, it, it looks pure and clean and just should not be as easy as it is because he 
for him, send four people, doesn't matter. He's going to find a way to do a reverse layup. It's wild. Yeah, he's incredible. I'm a fan, um, offensively. I, I'm going to miss watching him do spin layups and all that good <laughs> stuff. Because um, he just he, he's a freak of nature. Um, last thing, the main event. I, I'm so excited to talk about this. Uh, Pat Beverly um, lost his mind on the Clippers bench um, during the uh, Clippers-Blazers game. Uh, Damian Lillard missing two crunch time free throws and responded by going for 50 and 7. <laughs> um and uh there was a caption war between paul george and damian lillard dating back to uh paul george saying it was a bad shot and there is um a lot going on with these two and it's unfortunate when we can't get them in a first round series because that would just be a delightful thing um yovan you're close to this what is this at all surprising that pat bev is trolling damian lillard to the level that he was and that this is this is real no it's not um, real well no, no no i'm saying it's it's not surprising okay it, it, it's real um you know i i think that there's obviously some bad blood here um you know you you mentioned the brief history with pg and dame going back to last postseason um you know paul george has had to relive that shot i i don't know how many times but dozens of times um and you know that that was a storyline in training camp, you know, that was brought up with, um, even with like Patrick Patterson and Mo Harkless, who are both, you know, in that series on, on opposite ends. Um, but, but that, that's been a, you know, something Paul George has had to deal with all season. That was one of the, you know, the NBA's had commercials with, with that shot. Um, you know, I, I think ESPN and, and TNT have, have both used that shot in NBA promos. So like Paul George cannot get away from that shot. And, and I think that's been, one of his motivating factors, you know, all season is just kind of like in a way, I, I think there's been a lot of slander on PG this season and, and kind of people rewriting his playoff history. And, and part of that is because of that shot, you know, and um, if you actually look at, you know, a lot of his playoff numbers, like Paul George has mainly showed up in the postseason for the most part since 2014. Um, you know, he's just not been on the better team. And then, you know, I, I think we, we tend to use that against guys, um, sometimes, but, and then Pat, of course, is Pat and he's going to talk crap to anybody at, at any time. And, um, you know, Dame during the game, um, had a moment where he, he hit a, a deep three and then running back, looked at the Clippers bench and was pointing to Pat saying, I wish you were out here. And uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, Sean might remember this, but earlier in the season when these two teams played, uh, Pat actually had a block on a Dame drive, uh, in Staples center, yeah, I do um, remember this. That, which, which, to be fair, he did kind of foul Dame on the drive. Uh, <laughs> there was probably like two. He probably fouled him two or three times, but refs didn't call it. He ends up coming from behind and swatting Dame. And that was like a game-saving block. So those two have kind of had it. Um, and, and as Dame mentioned, they played in the the 2014 postseason. So I, I think there's a lot of bad blood here. Now, I was kind of surprised that Dame brought PG into it. Um, you know, some people had said PG was part of the celebration on the bench. I didn't see that personally. Well, somebody asked him about it is the thing. Someone like did somebody, ask him about somebody, it. And, somebody said like, I, I, I was at Dame's uh, media the other night when that happened. And he, it's like he, it, somebody asked him about Beverly and he said the thing about 2014. And then somebody said, Oh, well, Paul George was doing the wave. And then that's when he went into the thing about Paul George. And then, and then after that, they started doing the Instagram stuff. So Dame was asked about that. He didn't bring it up unprompted. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, 
and he went off and then Dame keeps receipts and, and Dame, you know, is not going to back down from every, anybody. So, um, I thought it was funny. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, Pat and PG are, are probably in the right in the moment. Um, and, and just that, you know, Portland is either going to miss the playoffs or lose in round one, or the Clippers are most likely going to at least make the conference finals, if not go further. So in this moment, when you're talking about which, you know, which players are on the better team, it's the Clippers. But you know that that has to play out. And, and as of right now, Dame has sent both those guys home. And um, again, he has the receipts. So it, it's it, it's just fun. I mean, we, we don't get this really in a, in a, with any other sport. And I think that's one of the the best parts of the NBA. Like the game itself is great. It's beautiful. We all love it. Um, but it, it's all this Twitter and Instagram stuff that you just don't. You know, once in a blue moon, get it in baseball or or NFL. It feels like in the NBA, it's every week. Yeah, I don't think Dame and Paul George actually dislike each other on a person lo- mm. level. I don't like have any inside knowledge of this. I think they're fine, but this I think is he all just kind of doesn't like Pat Bev. I don't think most guys like Pat Bev. Well, I think that's right. I think that's well, right. I, but that I mean, Pat, the thing about Pat Bev, I don't think Dame is really that worried about Bev because that's yeah. just how he is, and that's how he. Everybody just knows he's like one of the biggest shit talkers in the league, and that's just kind of how he is. And he's one of those guys you love him if he's on your team, and you hate him if he's on the other right. team. So I don't think anybody's really that mad at that. There was, I think, for the most part, like I wasn't, I couldn't really you can't really argue with you know dame misses the two clutch free throws and then pat bev kind of mockingly does the dame time celebration because that you know dame did come up short there and you know it's totally fair game for the clippers guys to be celebrating it and kind of making fun of what he usually does when he hits those shots like i don't have a problem with that i think the two things that i thought were a little bit corny in the back and forth on instagram later one was Paul George's Instagram story that he posted later on where he was like, where he basically said, everybody forgets I was injured during that series. And it's like, okay, dude, you, you, I mean, yes, he was. And I was one of the few people that wrote at the time during that series, his shoulder, right? That his, both of his shoulders were yeah, clearly a hundred percent. And he ended up having surgery on both of them, but like, okay, dude, you don't get to play that card a year plus later <laughs> after like, at, after saying at the press conference that it was a bad shot, like, like that was kind that was kind of whack. And then, on Dame's end, Dame comes back at him and says, yeah, but you keep switching teams because you're afraid of the grind. And it's like, OK, I mean, I know Dame has kind of made this whole thing out of I'm the guy that's going to stay with one team and I'm not going to go join a super team. And that's great for Dame. And that's cool. But like, that's not a reflection on Paul George's character that he wanted to be traded from Indy and then he wanted to go to the Clippers. Like, I I just think both of those ones where you're where, where Paul George is like, well, you know, people do forget I was injured. And then Dame was like, yeah, well, you didn't stay with one team. Like, I just both of those. I was just like, OK, that's kind of corny, like on both of their ends. I think Instagram beef is inherently corny. I don't think you can do it without sure. it being corny. I don't think there's an yeah. avenue of it not just being like a uh, little cringy. Well, we we didn't even mention uh, Dame's sister getting involved. Oh, I forgot then, about this. Wait, what? Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even see this. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she was she called out Pat Bev, and and you know, it was uh, Dame's sister called out Pat Bev on her Instagram story and was calling him like nasty ass and like all these different things and then uh paul george's girl called out dame sister and was calling her expletives that i'm not gonna repeat and nice uh it was just uh it it really did escalate into uh family members getting involved so that was i didn't even see this part of it oh yeah no it was uh it it was a crazy day for for instagram beef but uh i I mean I, i thought it was funny like pat bev's one two three cancun i thought that was a little funny that that joke is always funny yeah. And then, um, 
you know, P- PG tried to bring in like, oh, we're the better team, but then Dame came back with, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I do think that, um, I will say on the PG front, I, I, I agree with you in that it's probably too late to use the excuse. It, it is a legitimate excuse in that, like, he probably should have just sat out last season once he got injured. Like, he injured yeah. both shoulders. And if you look at his splits, like, it's clear once he injures the shoulders, like, up to that point, he was yeah. at an MVP caliber level. Post the injuries, he, he was not that good. I mean, and especially by his standards. Um, but, and he even said, like, I, I think, I don't know if it was on the story or, or on his later Instagram post, like, he was getting shot up for those games and like basically playing on adrenaline and stuff. But well, I remember uh, he said after game one of that series where he shot like two for 18 or something. I don't remember the exact number that he shot, but it was something really bad like that. He says in the post game podium, this game, these first two games were in Portland. So I was there and he said basically that four days before that game, he couldn't even lift his arm up to his shoulder. And then the, a couple days later after game two in practice, he says, oh, yeah, my shoulder's fine. I feel pain-free. And he said that, and he's wearing, like, the biggest wrap of ice on both of his shoulders that I've ever seen. And during those games, he was wearing, like, the most tape that I've ever – you know that black tape that guys put on their shoulders? He was wearing yeah. the most of that that I've ever seen somebody have on their shoulder at one time. So it was obvious during that series, especially, like, with the way he played and, like, the way he shot, that his shoulder was pretty messed up. And then you saw, obviously, later on that he ended up having surgery on both of his shoulders in the offseason. But it's like after you've already, you know, had that shot hit on you to win the series and then you say at the podium that it was a bad shot and then you come back a year later and say, oh, well, you know, I was injured. During this. It's like, OK, come on, dude, like you got to just take the L. Hmm. How does this yeah. end? Does this just go it's, away? Do they just forget well, about what, it? Because they're not going to play each other in the playoffs. I mean, it's going to be so long until next season that I think it might have just gone away. Like the league's saying that the season's going to start in December. I don't see any way that that's going to happen. So by the time we get to February or March or whenever they're actually able to start the season, I don't think anybody's still going to be thinking about this. Hmm. Do we get tweets? Do we get uh, Paul George doing some eye emojis if the Blazers get swept by the Lakers in round one? Probably. Yeah. And that'd be totally fair game if they do that, if he does that. You'll you'll get a Pat Bev comment on a Bleacher Report article, (laughs) like quoting Dame saying something, you know, you know. I gotta say, it was good for us. Unlike some people. I gotta say, it was good for us that he, that they both did that on the, on the Bleacher Report Instagram post, because I did write a column about it later. We could just embed like the, my company's own social media posts on it. So I will say, I shout out to them for doing it on that avenue. Brand awareness. Thanks for looking out for hiking NBA stars. Yeah, <laughs> I've always said that they haven't looked out for you enough, Sean. Some it's I'm true. Glad. It's true. <laughs> People forget. People forget. All right. People well... forget that I was a bucket. <laughs> Seam face emoji. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been great. I appreciate the time, guys. Uh, what can we check out from you this week on the Athletic and Bleacher Report? I want to go first, Yovan. Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And uh, I've got a bunch of stuff coming out this week. Uh, today, I had a post on 10 storylines and trends for the Clippers through their first uh, six seeding games. Going to have some stuff ranking the Clipper players in terms of importance heading into the postseason, the postseason rotation, uh, and then going to be writing about the two seed and, and Trez's return later in the week. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. 
the only thing I've got really coming up this week, and you can follow me on Twitter at Hiken, which is just my last name, H-I-G-H-K-I-N. So, you know, that's the thing to do. But I, the thing, the one thing I have coming up this week is I, a cup like last week, about a week ago, I went to the Blazers arena and got a tour of how they're dealing with like filming their game broadcasts outside of the bubble because the team broadcasters aren't in the bubble. Mm. And so I have kind of a behind the scenes story of how teams that aren't where their broadcast team is not in the bubble are actually going about producing these game broadcasts for the local broadcasts. So I've got that coming out probably at some point this week. I don't know the exact date that it's running, but I've got that coming up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, you guys keep up the great work. Stay safe out there. And uh, we will talk again soon. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.